but I get really, I mean, I'm, ex- don't get me wrong. I'm super excited because what's coming and it's coming very fast, but like we just talked about, it is kind of scary. So, but going back and addressing some of them, let's just say minority report managing data with our fingertips and stuff like that. You know, we're pretty close to that right now with HoloLens and you know, there's some other fingertip, uh, you know, different tools out there that you can use. You can project onto walls and you can manage data. That's, that's around the corner, not far. You know, holograms, the, they're available now. They can be used not to a huge interaction yet. You know, I would say interacting with a hologram in a realistic basis is probably five years. Welcome to Fringe FM, the podcast that explores the edges of human understanding and looks at the technologies, trends, and societal norms shaping our collective future. Here, the world's top minds share their insights and predictions on the convergence, direction, and ethics of exponential technologies transforming life as we know it. You can learn more and stay up to date at fringe.fm. And you, listener, consider supporting Fringe FM on Patreon. Fringe FM is completely independently produced free of ads, and designed to bring the best information from the smartest folks directly to you without any type of bias or incentive structure. If you go to fringe.fm slash Patreon or fringe.fm slash support, you can find different ways of supporting us here at Fringe FM to help us produce more content, put out more valuable stuff in the world, and ideally make the world, or at least your part of the world, a bit of a better place. You might spend, what, 10 bucks a month on Netflix to be able to binge watch House of Cards or something else, which really just wastes your mind away. We're trying to build on your mind, ideally on your career, and especially on our world. Fringe.fm slash Patreon if you love what we do and would like to support. Again, only do this if an extra cup of coffee or two a month isn't going to hurt you financially. If it is, we don't want you supporting us. You have much more important things to focus on. But if you can afford an extra cup of coffee, if it's not something that's going to break the bank or you have to even think about, then consider supporting Fringe FM. Fringe.fm slash Patreon. Thanks, guys. Do you run a business or blog and hate hosting and managing your site? If you do, check out WP Engine, the managed WordPress hosting company, 500,000 plus sites trust to simplify everything. They've got a special offer just for you listeners. If you go to disruptors.fm slash WP Engine, you'll get 35 free premium studio press themes with any purchase. Look at our site. I couldn't do this design on my own. You need themes. These guys help you manage everything and simplify it. Save yourself a ton of time and headache in the process. Disruptors.fm slash WP Engine. And now, let's get on with the program. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. School. Do you remember your first day of school? I imagine it was an incredible moment. Your parents were there. Maybe your parents yourselves in thinking about your children's first day of school. Either way, when it comes to education, we all have special experiences especially given the significance that education plays in our lives, our work, and our future. Today, we're talking education, tech, and the future surrounding all of us. We've got Brad Wade on the program. Brad's an international speaker, influencer, and educator with 15 years of experience in classroom and industry. Brad's been named a top 15 influencer in the field of augmented reality and fuses that with emerging technology to assist education. He's a consultant to industry, education, and government, and often called on to assist with schools and programs on storytelling for products and companies. 
He's been honored by the National School Board Association as one of the top 20 to watch in education technology. And his holy shit experience of augmented reality in the classroom is something that other educators and institutions are rapidly taking note of. We're in a world that's evolving. We're looking into a world where education tells us nothing of what the future will be. So today we're going to dive into what we need to know and how we can refine that education system to have a successful and productive and happy society in the future. Today we discuss how augmented reality has changed in the past decade, what's on the near-term horizon when it comes to holograms, VR, and AR, how technology transforms society and cultural norms, the ways education is being rewritten for the modern world, why Brad is so bullish on AI and machine learning, the problems with AI and AR for freedom and personal privacy, how Brad thinks about the future of work, the reason Brad thinks college is a collapsing system, P.S. it is, what Brad believes is necessary to save education, the societal struggles to change the education system, especially when it comes to parents. Which of today's top tech companies will lead the future, and why Minority Report isn't that far off. And now without further ado, I give you the innovator, the futurist, Brad Wade. So Brad, you're an educator that turned into an awesome tech guy. What's the story? <laughs> that's, a, that's a cool way to put it. I, was in, I taught elementary school, primary school for 15 years in Michigan. And about 10 years in, I discovered augmented reality. It's about 2012. And I was, I was at a conference, not even an education conference, and I saw augmented reality. And I was literally in a room of over 1,000 people, and the presenter just skimmed over it real quick. And when, when they were done, I stood up. I literally stood up out of my seat, and I looked around like I couldn't believe what I had seen. I could not believe it. I'd never seen it before. And I just couldn't believe that the rest of the room wasn't jumping out of their seats like I was. I'm like, that was amazing. What was that? Isn't everybody freaking out? And, and nobody, nobody seemed to like take an interest that I did. So I went back to my classroom and I said, I have to find out what that was. And so I did a little research, found out it was augmented reality, did a, a search, augmented reality in education and found like nothing in the app store. And, you know, it's very little online. So I said, I have to find it out. So I found three experiences, one in space, one in architecture and one in, uh, anatomy. And they were not even really in education. One was NASA, one was an architecture demo, and one was from University of Illinois Medical School for medical students. Well, I took those back to my classroom and I showed my eight-year-olds. And I had seen something I'd never seen before in my life. I saw an engagement factor that was so high. I said, this is it. This is it. I've got my kids so engaged. I can teach anything to them. So what I did is I, I went back to all my my guidelines and benchmarks. I started rewriting lesson plans around that engagement. I wasn't teaching space, but I used them to be so engaged in the experience. I used that to leverage it for language arts, creative writing, whatever I needed to, and ended up being very successful. So I quickly became an evangelist, not really knowing what an evangelist was. I just found myself telling everybody about it, and I wrote about it, and an article got picked up and went pretty wild on my blog. And I got asked to speak and present and found out I love speaking and presenting and sharing. So I did that for a few more years. I did both jobs. And then it was just, I had to, had to pick one of my passions, you know, stay in the classroom or go evangelize around the world in education and technology. And so I chose the latter because as my 16-year-old put it at the time, he said, Dad, you're a great teacher, but you're never going to stop doing this. It's your passion. So I so I took a leap of faith, and that was a few years ago now. Gosh. And now I, I'm lucky enough to travel around the world, not only in education, but now in industry as well, talking on every topic from AR to AI and everything in between. So there were 999 other people in that room, 
And you were the only idiot who stood up and decided this is awesome. Why is that? I don't know. I, I, you can tell by the way I'm, my expression is like you can hear my voice. I don't know, Matt. I don't know. I was blown away. It was the dollar bill Erasma trick. You know, now HP Reveal, you can just scan the dollar bill and it, you know, it comes to life with, you know, John F. Kennedy and a rocket and stuff. And it's just, I'm like, what? I was seriously, I was floored. I will never forget that moment. And it changed my life. And now, I mean, it took my life in such a different route. I never expected anything like this. I mean, I was in my, well, gosh, I was in my late thirties or might even been 40 when all this happened. And I never knew I would do a a major turn in my career. I'm still an educator and I'm in education, but I love technology. And I love sharing. So now I've, it's, it's, this is just what I do because it's my life and I love it. I will go and speak and share anywhere around the world, anywhere. How do we fix education? <laughs> That's a good question. A lot's actually being done, you know, right now, which is nice. I, and it's, it's hard at the, at the government level. But what I've seen is, you know, I call them mavericks. You know, there's some really good maverick leaders out there, superintendents. Because we already have a lot of teachers that are doing great things at the grassroots level. It's hard for teachers to, to change the culture. They can spread the word really well, but it takes somebody in a leadership authority, a superintendent or a head of schools to really you know, change the direction of the ship. And I know a lot of them that are doing some incredible work. And uh, you know, the change is coming because people are really starting to un- understand that you know, our, our old educate, our old antiquated education system that was getting us ready to, you know, reap the benefits of the industrial revolution are gone. That's, that's an old system now. It's, it's really, it's, I'm not trying to be cliche, but you know, it's the information revolution. It's how we understand all the data, find all the, all these, all the sweet spots in learning and education and access to all the tools and information that we have and just get our students ready for the, the workforce that's really you know being asked of us today. And it's only going to continue to evolve over time. And we just have to get ready. And I'd say the way we fix that is just adopting tools and information that's already in the world. And now it shouldn't be a memorization. You know, the teacher doesn't know everything and the kid, students don't need to just memorize and say, do I have a good memory? It's really that application using the tools we have, understanding the community that's around you, the jobs that are needed. And really the skills that are needed, you know, how do I use technology? What are my soft skills? How do I work with people? How do I, you know, let people know I'm, I'm understanding what they say, you know, and can apply that information to whatever problem I'm being asked to solve, what tools are at my disposal, stuff like that. Teachers have to solve an impossible problem. They have to overcome society pressures and create essentially changeable, malleable, intelligent little beings that aren't evil that are able to function in jobs that haven't even yet been created. Correct. How? That's exactly. So we have to think about, okay, so like one of the things I, I, I start talking about, like I address this sometimes in my keynotes. I say, all right, so what skills are transferable? What skills are never going to uh, be unnecessary? You know, and, and you know, one of them is communication. We need to know how to communicate, whether it's with one individual, whether it's a, with a team, we need to know how to work with the team. We also need to understand the tools in our tool belt. You know, a carpenter, you know, if they only have one tool, they can only do so much. But if they have all their tools and they know how to use all their tools, they can make incredible work and they can do incredible work. We need to know and understand that the tools are changing all the time. You you even said for jobs that we don't even know are going to be created yet using new technology. So I think we need to just, I say teachers were laser focused and that's not a bad thing. But I I had my own epiphany, you know, about year 10 teaching was I understood, I realized that I was laser focused and a really, I think I was a really good teacher, 
uh, so laser focused, I was only looking at education. I wasn't really understanding the world outside of education. So what I did is I spent you know probably a good year researching industry, understanding what industry was going through, what the demands of industry were, what they needed to solve, and what the biggest thing that came out was they needed this workforce to be better prepared to meet the demands of their you know their rigors in their company, and the school systems weren't really preparing them for that. They didn't need workers with good memories. I am a robot. You will never be able to memorize as well as me. Plus, I have Google. Now back to the episode. They needed, you know, workers who could adapt to to learn, you know, whatever tools they're using at the company. Need to understand culture and environment and teamwork. And so that's slowly starting to be understood in the education system in North America. In other parts of the world, they're, they're, they're getting it a little ahead of us. But I know in Canada, I sat with a group of leaders when I was in Toronto just a few months ago, and I was so amazed by the conversation they were having behind closed doors. I even, I don't think they knew I was in the room. So I was doing a keynote there and I just, you know, I was sitting in on this, on that, that small session. And at the end of, end of it, I just stood up and I want, I told them how impressed I was and just so thankful they were having these conversations at such a high level to look at how can we change education for the better. And I was very impressed. They basically said what I kind of prefaced a few minutes ago, saying, how do we prepare them for the the new world? In Asia, they have huge populations. Yes, honey? I'm sorry, one second. Houston, we have a problem. Top for a bunk bed. (laughs) One of the supports just broke, I guess. Hey, listener, you're probably wondering why we left that in there. And A, it's always great to have a little bit of fun. But B, and more importantly, when we have experts like these, it's important to have authentic, transparent conversation. When people are too filtered and conversations are too structured, you often miss a lot of the nuggets that come into truly insightful and innovative thoughts and creativity. We get people on for long-form interviews with the smartest folks in the world because everyone has something they're interested in, but plenty of fields that they're also related to and can add value to. We're living in a convergence of exponential technologies where innovations and cross-collaborations will be what make or break our species and society. So I get these world leaders on to see what we can all do and come up with together outside of just their expertise. So I'll give you an example. I do a lot of work in Asia at a problem they're trying to, to solve over there, and that's reskilling the Asian worker because they have a large population, but they have the workforce has changed so dramatically so fast that they have to upskill and reskill these workers, you know, to meet the demands. So we're now thinking, well, education needs to be ready for that because education is a big machine and it takes a long time to change. At least now we're being thoughtful saying, well, we really do need to be more versatile and agile and change how we are educating kids. And there are small pockets that are doing it great. And that's why I use the, you know, the example of like the Maverick or the Rogue Administrator that does this. I, I know some of them personally, and I love the work they do because they will just set a district on the right track. And they use things like, okay, we're taking five years and we are not going to worry about test scores for five years. We know that we're going to educate kids the right way and the test scores will bear out. And I know there's one one that's been doing it. He's on year three or four and the test scores have bared out. They really restructured the way they were going to educate kids from the ground up all the way from K through high school. And it's, so I'm just, I'm just glad to see it. It does take time, but there's so much more good, genuine conversation now than there were just even a few years ago. 
it reminds me of the Facebook example when they had to switch from desktop to mobile and Zuckerberg essentially said, we're not going to touch desktop until mobile is 100% perfect because that is the future. You kill and burn all the other ships, but it does take that transition time. That's right. It does. It takes it takes some transition time. And gosh, I, I'm lucky enough to have, have been doing this long enough now that where my where I push education and industry now is different than I was three, four, five years ago. Because five years ago, four years ago, even three years ago, it was more just making, you know, trying to get the, the masses aware of what's going on and the need that was coming. And now it seems like most places I go, they see it. So now they're like, okay, so what would you recommend? What have you seen? What have you seen work? What have you seen fail? And so it's nice that we're at a different level now of conversation, getting, you know, trying to change the system. And it's, I'm very happy about it. We have a long ways to go, but I feel like we've actually made some progress. It is slow, but made a lot of progress in the last few years. And if you're moving the right way, then it keeps moving. I want to transition a little bit. So it's been 10 years since you got that kick in the butt AR. What's been happening since then? And where are we today? (laughs) Oh, man, it is just blown up. It's incredible. Yeah, there's been just some a few different phases. I would say one of the phases that was really good for the whole scene was Pokemon Go. I wanna be the very best. No one ever was. Catch them is my real test. Because that finally got the masses to hear the word augmented reality. It also gave me a platform that I could all of a sudden like I could I do like a, a two minute on Pokemon Go when I speak and people are like, oh, okay, I get it. Well, that gets the masses right on board of understanding. It takes so much of the education time out of it so I can bring them forward. And then the, the next huge leap is now with the processing speeds and, and AI, artificial intelligence. You know, we've, we've, you know, we've had AR and VR you know, it's all going to be really becoming mixed reality. There's, there's what I love is, you know, in mixed reality, seeing a digital asset, understand its surroundings. That's absolutely incredible. And I've read a lot, but I've done a lot of my own predictive models. And in my prediction, it's most, most experiences now are going to be mixed reality going in the future. Virtual reality will have, you know, will stay around for very specific things like training and technical support, learning, you know, heavy industry and things like that. But I think general experiences now for the masses, I think it's going to end up being mixed reality because it just makes sense when you can, you know, take in digital information that's familiar with your surroundings. Um, it's just the next level. So with the, you know, with AI taking off just so much. And one thing I, I share with people when I'm talking with them, I do a little poll of the room. I say, all right, how many of you are familiar with augmented reality? And then I do virtual reality. And, and then I'll, I'll ask about artificial intelligence and everybody knows it. But when they, they don't, most people don't realize they interact with artificial intelligence almost on a daily basis, you know, machine learning with your phones, predictive, all that stuff. You know, you hop in your car and your machine, your, your phone has figured out where you go this time of day and predicts, you know, you're 25 minutes from the school or whatever, you know, you know, the machine has learned all that. And that's, you know, kind of a form of artificial intelligence, but you know, where AI is going right now and it's, you know, with Siri and Alexa and all that. Now you incorporate that with, you know, avatars and assistants. Not bad. Only two minutes today. my opinion. AI is going to be the, the next huge leap uh, in industry, and it's going to force education to take note. It's not going to take the teacher's role. It's just going to assist the teacher in a very different way where we're going to have to use AI as a, as a way to get information and get data and mine data and analyze data. But we're still going to, 
need teachers to, you know, AI can't really work on soft skills with students or understanding like that. AI is definitely going to be able to get information for us quicker, um, help us, you know, manage data, you know, apply different things in different scenarios and help us figure out problems. So I think, honestly, out of everything, I think AI is the biggest. And that's where I'm getting most of my requests these days to speak at conferences. I mean, I've been asked to speak at AI conferences specifically, not even in education, just because it's so it's becoming so big and so needed to have these conversations. It's kind of like going to a software conference that encompasses everything. Yeah, it does. It's, it's incredible. Yeah, it's exciting. It's, it's, it's very exciting. So with AR, where are we today in terms of the types of experiences we have? And where do you see us moving in the next five to 10 years? I know you said mixed reality. I assume you mean if we have glasses, there'll be AR or VR, whatever you want, something to that effect. Yes. So AR experiences where we're at today is, you know, the the best thing about AR is I can be in a room of a thousand people and I can, within a minute or so, I can have them all having an AR experience. And so just be able to get it to the masses is huge. It's inexpensive. Anybody with a device basically can have that experience. The the depths of those experiences are, are getting deeper and more rich because of the, the processing power and the speed of, of the processors and the power of our, our phones and devices. So you, know, you can manipulate things like the human body really well now. Where it's going is, I definitely say, it, we probably will use AR as, an, as a general term. I don't know if AR or mixed AR MR is going to stick as the main, but I really think that AR is going to evolve into every digital asset's going to understand, even if you're using it on your phone. So if I have, I don't know, you know, the difference between AR and mixed and MR is, you know, if I have, let's say I have, you know, Pikachu on my phone, that's an AR. Pikachu doesn't know where it's at in the world. It knows that it's been placed here and it just sits there. It can run around, but it doesn't know if there's a bench there or anything like that. Whereas mixed reality, even if it's on glasses or your phone, your your device will be able to scan the area. And if there's like a park bench, say you're outside and there's a park bench, Pikachu will know that. Pikachu can sit on it. And some of the coolest things I've seen is medical is usually one of the first to adopt things because they have billions of dollars to research because they have a lot of money. and They're going to make a lot of money. You know, one thing I've seen Microsoft doing is using it for virtual patients. You know, a doctor can see a virtual patient and actually can have you know, have a seat there and they can actually see a patient sitting on the chair in their office because that digital asset knows the location. They're sitting on a chair as well and they know they know the room. And it's just, it's absolutely, the interaction is becoming really impressive with, you know, all the AR, MR experiences. It can get potentially much scarier if we get to a, a light projection field. So light projected onto the eyes, you're walking around and you see ads, you can't help it. Yes, it really is. And so like one thing I talk about, I do, I do this a fun little bit about did Hollywood have it right? And I do, I go through five movies and I always have the crowds, y'all throw up a picture and I just have them yell out what, what movie it is. And then we'll go through them and I'll go back and address every movie on there. One is Minority Report, you know, when he's going through the airport and he, every ad knows who he is and they're saying, come in, buy a shirt and all that. It does get, you know, and that's when you get really down to it, that is a concern because here's what I tell people. Well, you know how when you're on Facebook, you know, it knows that you're there and it's always, you know, some people, most people know this now, but some still don't. They're still surprised. Actually, how many of you got an ad for like 
you know, something you just, you love, like, you know, a pair of shoes or, you know, camping or something. Everybody raises their hand like, oh my God, it's great. And I'm like, yeah, because it knows, it understands. And it goes through, you know, it data mines, everything, knows your analytics, knows what you like. I mean, I love my LinkedIn feed. My LinkedIn feed is like awesome. It's all AR, VR type stuff. And I love that because I don't have to surf through. It's already done it for me. It knows what I like. So I stay on top of all my most interested things. So you take that and you apply it to, you know, light field or, you know, using a contact or whatever it is. And all of a sudden now you have all of this, like you said, you can't turn it off. It knows who you are. You're getting, you're getting solicited. So when I, when I speak at AI conferences, that's one of the things I talk about is how do we address these upcoming, I don't want to say issues yet, because I'm not a, I always, you know, try to talk. It's an, it's an issue. It, it is. It, it really is an issue. It's, you know, I mean, you know, we could dive into those weeds and spend days on it. Uh, you know, a friend of mine, and I have many times and it's, it's a concern because, you know, like who has the right to do it? You know, how do you turn it on and off? And my biggest question is who governs that? Who makes that decision? Where is that policy? You know, because you, you know, you get people that you know, aren't interested in, in the good well-being, but if it, they're more interested in profits and everything like that is maybe they're going to be doing things that aren't the best for people, but maybe they're very successful. You know, it's just, you know, you could watch so many different movies on Netflix and different things like that to get some sights into potential concerns of all of that. Do we need to get rid of our advertising eyeball model to survive that type of future? Uh, I'd say yes, that would be, I think that's very, very scary. I would, unless somebody could show it to me where I wouldn't be concerned anymore, but I just think that's highly unlikely. So I would agree. I would say yes. It's a problem with the incentives in game theory. If yes. you have things line, lined up in a way that's not truly aligned with human interest, then, then you get into trouble. That's exactly right. I was, I was speaking, I was doing a panel at Global Minded in, uh, in Denver just, just last month on the you know, UN Sustainable Development Goals. And I was, it was great because I was, I was doing a panel, I was on a panel with a gentleman who was talking about that exact thing. And we ended up getting onto AI and the, basically the gamification idea being successful and doing all that. And we can really get down some really concerning rabbit holes quickly, you know, doing, doing all that. And the, the addictive model is out there. All the gamers know it. I mean, we have Fortnite, we have all these things where we know what it's about. They know how to create the model where you're going to keep playing. And we do that, you know, and use AI and emerging tech. It's, it can be really scary, really fast. Do you see a way around transforming capitalism to, to avoid some of these potential crises that most most educated and technologists see? I, I, I don't know. I don't know how we transform it yet. I, I, I don't know. I know we're going to hit, we're going to hit a critical mass at one point and we're going to have a huge backlash. My only concern is it might be, it, it'll never be too late, but it's going to be, there's going to be a lot of damage done. I think, I think because you know, the law of acceleration, you know how fast everything is moving right now. Things that we had a hard time even understanding what's going to exist in two, you know, two years ago exist now. And we're moving so quickly that I know that I'm just concerned that we're going to do some damage before being thoughtful because some people with deep pockets, you know, really just want to advance the future, which is fine, but they want to do it with, you know, a, a capitalism idea and reap the benefits and they will probably reap the benefits very well, but at what cost? We didn't take a broad enough view of our responsibility. And that was a big mistake. And it was my mistake. And I'm sorry. I started Facebook. I run it. And I'm responsible for what happens here. That's, you know, as, as I can hear in your voice, that's a concern with, as, as with me. That is the concern. So in terms of going forward, where are we headed? And what is a t- realistic timeline on some of the 
super sci-fi type technology that would be related to this field. So for instance, the contact lens, augmented reality, light projection fields, holograms, realistic, usable, not incredibly stupid voice interactions. How do you see all of this playing together and when we can start to expect some Gosh, of this? Gosh, man, if you asked me five years ago, I remember like just thinking like this, it, this stuff would be far in the future. I was kind of disappointed. And I, you know, even in some things, I'd say not in my lifetime where I'd use, you know, 15, 20 years out. But with everything that I, I mean, I'm lucky, very lucky, Matt. I get to see a lot of cool stuff. I get invited to places and, you know, I sign a lot of NDAs with people and companies because people want to share their work with me. And I'm blown away. These, all of them are businesses that have very good reasons to do what they're doing. They have good business development models. But I get really, I mean, I'm ex- don't get me wrong, I'm super excited because what's coming and it's coming very fast. But like we just talked about, it is kind of scary. So, but going back and addressing some of them, let's just say Minority Report managing data with our fingertips and stuff like that. You know, we're pretty close to that right now with HoloLens and you know, there's some other fingertip, uh, you know, different tools out there that you can use. You can project onto walls and you can manage data. That's, that's around the corner, not far. Um, you know, holograms, you know, the, the, um, they're available now. They can be used not to a huge interaction yet. You know, I would say interacting with the hologram in a realistic basis is probably five years, I would say, to where there'll be a decent amount of applications where I could bring it up and show it to people. They'd be like, oh yeah, that's right. To where it's been around enough where people are like, okay. So I'd say five years the contact lens, you know, using the, the optics on the eye, that's a scarier one. I'd say 10 years, but I could be, I, I could be, it could be sooner because we know, we know some prototypes exist, but like, even if we, you know, I always like to say like this, even if I went back to 1920 right now with the knowledge that I have, I couldn't build the space shuttle. Even if I had all the plans, I don't have all the components. I don't have the infrastructure. I don't have everything, even though I know how to do that. You know, we have some prototypes of things like that, but everything around it is not built yet. So, like, I think, you know, we have the capability, but we don't have, like, a technology infrastructure, if you will, to, to, for it to make sense for all that to be built out yet, especially, like, the, you know, using the, the optics of the eye and, like, a, you know, a, a lens for that. It's, it's around, but I think that's probably 10 years, but, and that's, I'm not, I don't know. I think it's kind of cool, but I'm, I'm not super excited about that one because I just, I don't know. I, and I, I'd just be curious. You know, I, I also, also say to people, I remember when Google Glass came out, and some people don't even remember it now, which is, in, is just incredible. But you know, when Google Glass came out, I say one of the best, I mean, it did two good things in my opinion. One of the things was it pushed the technology. It, it helped, you know, push the technology forward, which was great. The other thing was, is it made society have conversations, what we were comfortable with and what we weren't. I mean, Google Glass, like people just assumed it was recording all the time. Well, it wasn't. And, you know, you had, I had, I had a set, you know, you had to give it commands to record and different things like that. But we had those conversations, you know, not allowed in the bathrooms, not allowed in movies and different things like that. And that made sense. And quickly, it was quickly understood that there was a lot of pushback on that because we didn't know it well enough. And we were kind of like saying, all right, I like the technology, but this is what I'm not comfortable with. So for me, I think that's one good thing about society is when something really transcending comes out like that. At least I think it'll force conversations. It's going to be scary, but like, you know, if we have it in, and we can just have it on our lens and we can see stuff, a lot of questions are going to be asked. I think I'm hopeful that society will have good conversations and manage it. I don't think it'll go away. I think they'll just manage it in a way where it's a selective choice to use it. How is it broadcast? 
who has rights to it, who can push content your way, what models are being pushed to you, is it an addictive model, who's overseeing that, how do we look at it? So that's my hope. I'm also very much an optimist. I try to be a very good optimist, but understand the the, the things that could be very scary and a big concern. So, But I'm always going to try to be on the optimistic side that we are going to make good decisions. I would say a lot of the pushback was just because of how obvious it was, though. Let's like contradict or let's compare Google Glass with Facebook. Who got more data? Who are you being oh, used to? Yeah, there was zero conversation yeah, ever. Yeah. Have you ever downloaded your Facebook data? I have not. No. Oh, you need to do that. Every conversation you've ever had, every picture you've ever had, every like you've ever had, every group you've ever interacted in, everything you've ever posted. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm well aware of it. I just would prefer not to see, not to see it, but I, you're right. And see, so like, I know, I mean, I know, you know, I know my phone is taking every conversation I have. I know it's in the chip and all that stuff. And I know, you know, advertisements are even pushed, being pushed to me on things I've never searched for. I mean, I'm pretty familiar with that. And I live by the code. If I'm, you know, if you're a good person, that's, you know, it's okay. I mean, like I said, I'm, I am definitely an optimistic person. I'm always a, you know, silver linings guy trying to find that, but it, it's, it's a big concern. Yeah. I mean, exactly what you stated. So if we're, if we have, you know, the technology where it's not so obvious, that's a big concern. The path to hell is paved in good intentions. And the I'm not I'm a good person thing is a really weak defense, I think. Because you, you create minority report then. Right. No, it, you're exactly right. It's it's a it's a very we have to have a lot of discussions going forward on this. I mean and, and, and some people are, but like one of my biggest concerns is like, all right, who's gonna lead this? Who's going to I mean, there's a, quite a handful of us that pose these questions and ask things. Elon Musk is I mean, he's, you know, he's a little on the scarier side, but he's not wrong on what he's saying. You know, Mark Zuckerberg on AI, you know, like I'm right in the middle. Mark Zuckerberg's on, on one side where AI is going to solve the problems of the world and solve cancer and all that. And he, he's, he's not wrong to some degree. But Elon Musk is like, you better pay attention because if you don't do it right, we're going to be living in a society that we're not going to have a lot of control over. And it's going to be really scary. I'm pretty much in the middle of both them because... I really like to think that Mark has it right, but I also know that Elon's not wrong with what he's saying. So my biggest concern is, is it's happening so fast. And I'm afraid we don't, have, we don't have our own mental infrastructure set up to review and see what's going on and put some checks and balances, if you will. You know, I mean, that's a big ask. I mean, we already know the checks and balances with Facebook alone. And, I, and this is going to be even bigger, in my opinion, not like as a product of Facebook, but as a bigger issue you know, globally. All of those issues that Zuckerberg thinks AI will fix, he also thought social networking and being connected would fix. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know if he's inherently optimistic, ignorant, or something else entirely, but I, I would lean much closer to Elon's view just because he seems to actually, he seems to actually think. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. 100%. What, uh, what technologies outside of the fields that you're most focused on every day do you find the most interesting, the most exciting? Uh, I would probably say autonomous vehicles, I think, is, is one of the... You know, because I, I guess, but then that totally ties into the AI because that's where my brain always goes with the autonomous vehicles. I've seen some really cool things about how autonomous vehicles might actually help some metropolitan areas if it's done right. But I also know that if I'm driving in an autonomous vehicle and I want to drive myself, I don't want it to tell me no, like happened in iRobot. But I do think that's really cool because there's a lot, there's a lot of mathematics and problems that have to be solved with that, but I think it could, I mean, it's, it's cool just to see. That's probably what I'm most interested in watching the development of that. Over here in Michigan, University of Michigan does a lot with that close to me. 
And living in Detroit, you know, I'm always, you know, I'm by the big three. So I watch the vehicle scene very closely. I see all kinds of cool stuff around the city, you know, unmarked vehicles and masked vehicles, a lot of cool, you know, a lot of cool things here on the road. So I'd say outside of like ed tech, that's the one that I kind of keep my eye on because as a consumer, I see it as a consumer is really cool, but then I, I'd see it as my, my technology interest, like how are they solving that problem? You know, how do you face certain dilemmas? How does a computer make that decision? So that's, that's probably what I'm most interested in outside of like the ed tech industry. Have you ridden in one? I've not ridden one yet. No. When would you be willing to ride in one? And then follow up question. When would you be willing to ride in the back seat with your eyes closed and headphones on? I would do it now. I would. Ooh, ballsy. Yeah, there. I would. I'd put, I'd put faith in it. So why haven't you? I imagine you could, you could have a tweet and you could get out there. You could do a <laughs> video. You could get somebody, somebody up there in Detroit who wanted to give you a ride for some promotion, I imagine. I bet I could. I've just never put it out there. I guess I'm, I don't know. I just haven't, I haven't really thought about leveraging uh, my network to do that. I think it would be very cool. So if somebody hears this and uh, wants, to, wants to contact me and throw me in one, I would love to because I'd write about it. That'd be pretty cool. I'd share that out. So, Here's your, yeah. pers- your personal challenge. Just reach out to a couple. Speaking of, yeah. speaking of the big three, do you know the podcast Business Wars? No, I don't know that one. It, it's quite a good podcast, but they did a breakdown of the, the battle between Ford and Chevy and ultimately looked at how Detroit and the Motor City kind of killed themselves by ignoring Japanese competitors. And then but the question is, how do you see existing companies, which of the large incumbents do you see getting displaced and why? Of the big three or just major companies? No, no, not, not, uh, not auto companies in general. The auto companies are already displaced. They just don't know it yet. Other companies. I think here's what I would just, I would say simply this. I, I think the companies that are too big to pivot, I think they're, I think, God, they're Polaroid. I mean, Polaroid, Kodak. Think about, you know, I mean, Kodak was like the giant in film forever. And they took a hit for 20 plus years. And I can't believe, I think they still survive, but I know they're, you know, they're starting to work on their market again. They just took so long to pivot because they didn't see the future. Hey, listener, we need to take a time out here to zoom in on Eastman Kodak. I'm actually from Rochester, New York, and was able to witness this firsthand. So what happened with Kodak? Kodak, the company we all know and love, those nice disposable cameras when you were going to visit Paris, Rome, New York. You could take pictures, print out, and be incredibly happy with a low quality but awesome tourist images that you got. Well, suddenly, Kodak invented the digital camera. One of their lab guys came up with it, and rather than going forward with the future, when presenting it to managers, it got shot down. This'll kill our existing print business. We can't do this. We need to scrap this. Kodak scraps the product. Of course, as with technology, technology always wins out in the end. Ultimately, digital cameras became the go-to, until we, of course, all got digital cameras on our phone, which replaced pretty much all cameras. The moral of the story is technology typically wins, and if you try to go against that force of technology, the driving force of innovation, the world will come back to crush you. Kodak got crushed. Plenty of other companies get crushed. And I just wanted to add this because it is even more interesting, the fact that the industry leaders created the product and decided to can it rather than cannibalize their existing business. I don't think the size of the company necessarily... um I don't think you can be too big and not survive. I think that you just have to have a leader with vision to be like, all right, what's happening in the emerging world? Where's the market? Where's our workforce? You know, and what, you know, what do we have to be nimble about and agile? So I think if you're not agile, I think you just, I mean, you have to be able to pivot pretty quickly these days. And I think we're starting to see a lot of that with just the workforce. Companies that are being pretty successful are starting to give employees a lot more flexible time and understanding that looking more at the whole person. Uh, I know some of the research is coming out now about productivity on that. And I think that's one of the waves is, you know, 
you know, making your workers a little happier and then they're, they're more happy, they're more productive. I'm not a big fan of more hours. I know sometimes, and I've, I've seen the West Coast. I know how a lot of it works. I've been in a lot of these companies to where like they pr- provide such an amazing environment for their workforce, but usually they're young and they don't mind and they'll work, they'll work all day. I'm not a fan of that. I am fa- a fan of a good work environment and being flexible, but I, I like addressing the whole, the whole person, health, mental, fitness, all that stuff. Are you worried about Apple? I would say based off of your based off your past description, Apple would be a company past the prime. Yeah, the only thing one of the good one of the things for Apple that they have is obviously like more money than God, you know, or more money than anybody in the world. They could buy, you know, Disney's what like the fifth largest conglomerate in the world, and yet they could buy Disney outright with cash reserves on hand. So that's just that's just I yes, and it, well, you you know, I mean, Apple. I'm an Apple person, but you know, like they'll just. The last few you know, releases have been very unstellar. They're not really doing too much different. They're not really moving. I think some of what Microsoft is doing, and, and it's, especially in its emerging tech space, and I'm not even like a Microsoft slappy, but I'm, I am educated enough to know to watch some of their stuff they've been working on in the lab and what their reasons behind what they're doing is very sound. I love that the stuff they do deep in their labs in Microsoft, they, you know, they have some labs that just look three to five years out, and it's so cool. They just do so much cool R&D on it. Hello, I'm a Mac. And I'm a PC. And then you know, once they work on that, they're trying to push stuff for that vision. So yeah, Apple is, is kind of outdated, but they're so wealthy that, I mean, I think they'll stay around. They may just not be putting out great stuff. I don't know. But yeah, you're right. Well, they'll just take their old stuff and they'll remove the port so then you can buy adapters for adapters. And then they can make tons of, tons of money. I swear, that's the worst. You know, I mean, they just change these subtle things just so, you know, they can make another $2.3 billion on us in the year or whatever it is. That's the, that's the problem with Tim Cook. He's, he's an optimizer. And when you're an optimizer as opposed to a creator, and ultimately you optimize into the ground. You're, you're ex- wow, you, you, you put that so succinct, better than most I've heard. That's exactly right. Yes. I, I agree with you. I, 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 wrote a bu- I wrote a book on it. So it does. Oh, right on. It's slightly easier. Right on. Well done. You, you've done your research. That's good. If you're interested in getting Gods of the Valley, How Today's Tech Giants Monopolize the Future, my book on Google, Amazon, Facebook, and Apple, and where these tech giants are headed, then go to fringe.fm slash gods. You can pick that up in ebook format or download it on Audible. If you don't have an Audible subscription currently, you go to that link, then you're able to sign up for Audible, get the book 100% for free, and listen to the future from Silicon Valley. Although Amazon's in Seattle. Don't tell anyone. Outside of what we've talked about today, what would you want to what would you want to leave people with, or what topic would you want to jump to next? One thing I always I always end with is really like people say, "Well, what can I do, Brad? You know, what can I do tomorrow? What can I go to to help everything?" And I think the biggest paradigm shift is just a mindset, in my opinion. People just I I really am still a huge educator on this. Like I'm an evangelist because I'll go around the world just you know just speaking and sharing, but. There's a lot of education that, that I'm doing at the same time. And I think the biggest thing is mindset. You cannot have your head in the sand. You just, you just can't. You, you, you can't work at the same company for 50 years or 30 years and get the gold watch anymore and just think, well, I've, I've got two cars. I go home every day and I have dinner and you know, my life's great for 40 years. That's, you know, your life can be great, but you have to get your head out of the sand. It's really a paradigm shift mentally for people to really like, you know, have a, it's, like you need to really have a more of a global lens and understanding that you know we can't just have our laser focused vision on what we're doing. We have to understand the impact that it's having or the impact around us and what's going to have on us individually. So that's like my biggest takeaway is just mindset. You know, just really like 
I'm very educated. You know, I went to university, got master's degrees, stuff like that. But even so, I was teaching in the classroom for 10 years, doing a great job in my opinion. But I still, you know, my mindset was very, I wasn't close-minded by any means. I'm very accepting, but I just, I didn't have a good view of what was going on in industry and understanding all of it from a 60,000 foot view of overview of what's happening. And I think that's one of the biggest things. I think people just need to like do a little, I don't even want to say research because some people are like, I don't want to research. Just open your eyes, ask some questions, uh, go outside your field and uh, see what's happening and how does that impact what you're doing every day. So I'd say outside of a topic, that's just like my biggest, my biggest takeaway, my biggest ask for people. So more or less lesson to Fringe FM. (laughs) What about Amazon? Do you want a free $50 Amazon gift card? We're doing a review raffle giveaway now through the end of this month. Anyone who goes to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and leaves a review for Fringe FM, ideally a good review, but if you don't like the show, that's acceptable as well. Leaves a review. We want to encourage reviews because reviews help us rank higher. A big difference. And to do that, we need to reach people. So if you go to fringe.fm slash iTunes, you'll be able to open up in the iTunes app, either on your computer or on your phone, and leave a review. We'll be randomly selecting a winner. Over the course of the next month, we'll have all of our entries come in, and then we'll announce it on the show. If that's you, you reach out to us with some form of proof, and we'll send you a free Amazon $50 gift card to use on whatever you want. And yes, we know we are bribing you with an Amazon gift card, but the reviews are incredibly important for us, and the science shows that rewards make action happen. So if you want to enter the contest, just go to fringe.fm slash iTunes and leave a review. Make sure that you take a screenshot, and then if you end up winning, you will get that free $50 Amazon gift card. And now we'll jump back to the episode. As a follow-up to that, is, is college a terrible idea at this point? I, I, I will, okay. I won't use, I won't, I'll say outdated, very outdated, because I won't say terrible. But the way the system is, is you go into mass debt, and you end up coming out, most people end up coming out unskilled for what they're going to end up doing anyways. I think college university is great for a small percent. I would say if I was going to restructure it, I'd have you know certain professions that yes, you know, I probably want my my doctor to go to university or you know go to college and get really good and spend years on that. But I don't know if I need my my architect to do that or you know insert ten thousand other professions here. If I'm going to hire somebody for work, I want to know. I want to see your portfolio. You know, I really, nowadays, like I want to Google you, I want to find out what your work is. I want to see your portfolio. If I'm hiring somebody to build my house, I want to see five houses that they've built. I want to talk to people that live in them. I don't really care where they went to school or what degree they have, because obviously they, you know, they're good leaders and they have good people working with them and their work stands for itself. So yes, the college university system is very out, very outdated in my opinion. And I'm an educator, but I can realize that. How do we get parents to realize that? Because a lot of parents push their kids towards something which is economic suicide at this point, especially as jobs are starting to become more sparse. Yes, I, it's gosh, you you are absolutely right. And you know, we see it at elementary school. You know, I mean, it's already the path is already determined. I have one one son in college right now. He's in his fourth year. I have another son that's going to be looking at college in a couple of years, and you know, I don't know if it's the right fit for him. We've him and I have talked about it. And, you know, he's very smart. He's very business savvy. He's very financially smart. He's excellent with mathematics. And so I don't know if it's going to be a good fit for him. And I just, I find that paradigm shift was just in the last five years. It was good for my oldest son because that was the kind of a path he needed and wanted and is working well for him. My other son, I don't know if that's going to be the path he needs or wants or should take. Again, it's just coming back to education, understanding, understanding that the world is different than it was even 10 years ago. And so, so many people are now pointing out that going to college can be really a strain because you come out with 40 to $100,000 in debt. You're really not, 
you know, it's not bearing out that you're going to make that much more so quickly to where it makes a lot of sense. I mean, you know, there's so many people in college debt right now. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Well, it's also the, it's also the, the lost time fallacy or whatever. There's a term for it, but essentially I'm going to school to be a lawyer. I'm going to school to be whatever this is. You have so much of a switching cost because you've committed to this. You've put so much time, effort, energy, and money in. And now with, there's, in my opinion, there's education inflation as well. So jobs that have no business having ed- college education or masters or PhDs are starting to require higher and higher levels of education to differentiate because everyone decided to go to school for something they didn't need. Yeah, education. yeah. Exactly. And, and I don't know about you, but I went to college and I have a degree in something I never ended up studying. I, I, I went back to school at 26 to get my, my teaching certification and get my education degree because I, I came out to be a psychologist and that served, it still serves me well because I had a good understanding, but I ended up never working in that field. So I came out with a, my own, a lot of college debt, you know, as well for something. Then I became a teacher. You don't go into teaching to become rich. That's for sure. You know, how much of the problems driven by the university system itself and the, the for-profit model of education? Oh, well, that's, that's huge. I mean, that's, that's almost all of it. It really is. You know, now some, some, some universities are being agile and jumping in and filling a need online and different things like that, learning on your own time and fast tracking. And, you know, now certification, I'm working with, with a university here in Michigan, and they're putting some certification programs together in technology and AI and different things. They have different levels of certification. And it's great because what they did is I was one of the people that they brought in along with a lot of uh, business owners and you know, CEOs and different things from industry said, what, what would you need from a student? And so they're not getting like these full-blown degrees. This is just, just, this is just one program that they're getting ready to unveil. What it is, is now it's like different levels of certification. You know, we've been doing this in like trade work and different, different areas like that. But now we're still, this is a major university looking at this model. And I just, I thought it was really cool to get that call and that reach out and to hear what they were thinking. You know, this is very different than their, their bachelor's or their master's program. And it's, it's, you know, it's going to set up somebody in industry much quicker with a lot less financial take on their end, you know, a lot of less financial risk, but we'll get them more streamlined into a sector that they want to go in. So that's, that's kind of refreshing. It's like these code academies as well. There's not a better way to make money. The, the flip side, though, is education is significantly less effective when it's done at scale, specifically recordings, something to do with human time, um, time-based communication, being able to see and interact with each other seems to have much higher, higher success rates. Any thoughts on how we can optimize education for the future, make it more economic? I imagine getting government out of that would be, would be helpful. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that would, would help. You know, I don't really know. I don't think, I, I think the system's going to take a long time to, time to change, because I think it's going to take some rogue or maverick universities to do it very different. You know, I mean, we, we see at the high school level, there's some high schools that are doing it different. They're getting good press, but there's still backlash and they're trying. I think some universities are going to start doing that and get feedback on their system, how it's working. It, Matt, it's going to take a long time. I'm not, it's, it's going to take a lot. I mean, I wouldn't even, I would, I'd be surprised if it's dramatically different in 20 years, truthfully. I mean, I, I just, I just don't see it. I don't think, but I think there'll be, I think there'll be more options, but I think the system as a whole, I'd be surprised if it changed in the next 20 years. I think it might just look antiquated and it might become like a joke for some people, you know, like, oh, you go there you know, or whatever, but oh, so I don't see it changing dramatically. Maybe some of them might go away a little bit, but it's just such a big system. I just can't see it changing. If you were a 15 to an 18 year old, what would you do now? What would you focus on? What industries and how would you educate, progress your career, et cetera, et cetera? 
Well, one thing I always tell people is like, what's your passion? I work with people often, especially speakers in my academy I do is I say, all right, so what are you passionate about? And so I'll have them write a list and then I'll say, pick three and they pick their three and then I have them talk to me about it. And so when I I look in their eye and I see which one they're most passionate about, I say, let's do that. Well, for me, that would be probably artificial intelligence. If I was a 15 to 18 year old now, I'd be consuming so much with AI. I don't know if I'd be a programmer just because I don't, at this, I mean, at my point in life, I don't have the skill set, but maybe I would look into it if I was 15 to 18. But for me, that's the industry I would be all in. I'd be all in because I'm just fascinated by it. And then everything it touches. But you know, who I am now is definitely fit, different than I was at 15. But if I was 15 now, that's probably what I would do. I'd definitely be looking at all the emerging technology sectors and find out what, what I'm super excited about. And just, you know, because if you can make enough money to cover everything, but you love your work, that's enough for me. I'd love to make more money always, but I love what I do. I'm so lucky. So like I've really found for me, I found my my sweet spot. Uh, that's in my wheelhouse. Everything I do now, so I'm thrilled. And I don't ever look at it as work. I mean, I call it work because what else am I going to call it? But I do enjoy it so much. So if I was a 15 to 18 year old, that's probably what I do is look into AI. I think that's great advice. I would say for people out there looking for a career, do not choose a career until you've talked to at least one person in that field to see what they do, what they like, how they talk about it. And then on a flip side, do not listen to anyone for advice that is not further along on a path that you want to be on. Generally speaking, they'll give you advice that applies to their life and has nothing to do with you and your goals. Exactly. Yep. I totally, I totally agree with that. And I love, I love your idea of talking to people and find out what, I mean, one good thing about education is they make you go in with teachers and you try it and you see if you want to be a teacher and you do field experiences. So like, I just think there's not enough of that in all industries. And it really takes an individual to reach out. I mean, my son, one of my sons, he's 17 right now. He's, he's checking into a lot of different fields right now. He's, I mean, he's been on photography shoots with people. He's, you know, he's done different things like that because he loves photography. And so he has a photography account. He's been invited to some shoots and he enjoys that scene. And, you know, but that didn't happen through school. That was just him being inquisitive and reaching out through social media. So don't wait for school or somebody else to do it. If you're interested, ask somebody, find out. People are happy to connect you with people they know. I mean, if you're a good person, that's it's not a hard thing to do. Try it before you buy it. If you're listening to the podcast and you've heard someone has an interesting career, reach out to them. They'll probably be interested and very least willing to take a little time to chat. Brad, Brad I know you're a super busy guy. You got to go change the world, save the world. Your, your profile name here is Superman. Where's the best place for people to find you and reach out? Uh, the best place for people to, uh, to find me is, is probably professionally at twi- on Twitter, at TechBradWade, W-A-I-D. I'm at TechBradWade on every social media or Brad Wade you know, on Facebook. Just Google me, BradWade, W-A-I-D, and you'll find plenty of places to connect. I'm happy to connect where you're most comfortable. Email, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever. So whatever their platform is, LinkedIn, whatever, uh, reach out to me. Tech Brad Wade or just Brad Wade. You can find me. I'd love to chat. Fun fact. When I search for you online, Google thinks I want to go to Broadway. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah. You're, uh, you're, you're the high school musical of sorts. Thanks for coming on today, Brad. All right, my pleasure, Matt. Thanks for having me. And thanks for tuning in, guys. Have a great day. Listener, before you go, if you like Fringe FM, consider making a tax-deductible donation to support our mission. Yes, you heard that right. Tax deductible. Fringe FM is fiscally sponsored by a registered 501c3 nonprofit focused on advancing science worldwide. 
This means you can write off your donation for tax purposes, and possibly even get your employer to match the donation, all of which would dramatically boost the level of good we can do in the world and the quality of the show that we can produce. To learn more about supporting Fringe FM and whether your gift would qualify to reduce your taxes, please visit fringe.fm give. If you care about our mission, please support our efforts. You are literally deciding whether or not we can continue and how much of an impact we can make. Again, that's fringe.fm give to learn more and support our cause. Thank you. If you want more of Fringe FM, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or go to fringe.fm where you'll find tons of audio and video interviews with leaders in the fields of genetics, cryptocurrency, longevity, AI, space, VR, and much, much more. And you can follow me on Twitter at It's Matt Ward. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a quick review in iTunes to help more people discover Fringe FM.